0: Welcome back to the First Touch Podcast, episode 10. I am Tyler Brooke, joined alongside Nate Canaan. Nate, I'm honestly kind of amazed that we've made it this far at this point.
1: Oh yeah, this is awesome. 10 episodes in, love all the love from all you guys, keeping the FTFC strong. You know, we're out here every week for you guys, trying to build this soccer community here in the United States, also help giving more perspective to, you know, this amazing game, this amazing culture that we have, and we're so grateful for every single one of our listeners out there, honestly. Like, that's what we love seeing, is just like the engagement from you guys, every single Download every single review that we got. It, it's just great. And I'm so happy that we've made it this far and we got a lot more good things. We're 10 episodes in now. I can't wait until we're 100 episodes in.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's only a matter of time. Thank you to everyone that's been listening. Be sure to tell your friends, leave reviews. You know, any of that good stuff a podcast is going to plug at the beginning of an episode, we're just going to do it right now. But other than that, Nate, how are you feeling, man? I'm feeling. I'm feeling
1: good mentally. I'm doing rough on the inside. And I don't mean like like I'm sad. I mean that like uh, dude, this quarantine stuff is just so interesting in terms of like working out. I, I you, you know me. I grew up playing soccer. I've always considered myself to be a fit person. You know, granted I was I did have that awkward fat kid stages until I became, you know, a, a teenager. But going to the gym has been pretty much part of my routine and part of my identity for a while. And I haven't set foot in a gym since what, like February, March. I try to do running all the time. I'm very active going outside. And you you see me, I'm like doing runs during lunch or like in the morning. I'm a big bike rider, but I haven't like lifted weights in so long. And I swear to you, I picked up a weight about three days ago, and it was a much lower weight than what I'm used to. And I'm still feeling like a, like used a used rag right now is the best <laughs> way for me to describe. It. I just feel so wrung out. I feel so just defeated. My entire chest is just sore, my arms are sore. I'm a big baby right now when it comes to things. Like I can't even pick up like a glass of water without being like, ooh. Uh.
0: <laughs> it, it, you got to get core and lean, man. You know, I did order some of those resistance bands to essentially treat those as weights. But yeah, other than that, man, it's literally just like running, push-ups and core workouts. I would love to get a Peloton for the apartment, man. If we we have space for it, I will make space for it.
1: I used to take those kinds of classes back at the gym, and now I can't do that. Like group classes are just terrifying to me. So it's like that's why I'm like doing these solo runs because you know I can avoid everybody. I literally can run out of the way of another person. So whenever I actually got my hand on some some weights this week, I was like, okay, let's do this. I'm excited to get back. I I love the endorphins feeling after like a good like lift and like, you know, your body feels so much better when I missed it. And I'm I'm really hurting right now. And I just got to kind of get
0: back into this. I feel that, man. Well, hopefully some more equipment will help out. You got to get more creative with the workouts. Enough about the workout talk, though, just because we do have an elite episode today.
1: You waited 10 episodes for this moment. Here we are now. We have a very, very special guest. Tyler, why don't you tell what we have coming up this
0: episode? The legendary U.S. women's soccer captain, Christy Pierce-Rampone, is joining us alongside her co-author, Dr. Christine Keen. They're going to be talking a little bit about their upcoming book debuting August 18th. We're going to talk a little bit about the women's national team, about Christie's rise to stardom and her career. All in all, just an awesome conversation. After that, we got uh, another pitch profile. Uh, I'm glad to hear about all the positive responses about the Pulisic profile. Got another one upcoming with Luka Modric uh, and obviously some of our other regularly scheduled segments.
1: Yeah, shout out to FTFC member Drew Howard for the submission. Again, if there's any player that you want to learn a little bit more about, or if there's just a player that you personally really enjoy that you want us to highlight and explore further for other listeners to have, you know, reach out to us. Let us know. We're always happy to give you more context on some of these uh, all-time greats. Um, and with that, we uh, are going to talk a little bit more about what we've watched this week in terms of the Champions League. And uh, you know, always stay tuned for after the interview with Christine, because we're going to do a little bit of around the net. We have a great Great new kit that I am waiting to tell you guys about that I think is so cool. I love talking about clean kits. We also have Cristiano Ronaldo transfer rumors. You know, those are always really interesting considering that he does act upon it, you know. Of course, Tyler's bet of the week. And then we always finish out strong with a great pub of the week.
0: Champions League, man. All I can say is that the the stars are still insane. Even Cristiano Ronaldo getting kicked out still scored two goals. The moment that blew me away this weekend from Champions League returning was Lionel Messi against Napoli. He did ruin my bet of the week from last week. I'm assuming you've seen this goal by now, Nate, of him just beating a triple team, almost getting thrown to the ground, and then scoring left-footed while falling down.
1: This is really Messi at his best. It, you love to see it. This is why he is the greatest player in the world. He, having two defenders take him on and then a third one come in once he enters the box, falls to the ground, still maintains possession. The way that he holds the ball to his foot, it almost looks like there's some sort of magnetism there. And I've thought about that all the time when I watch Messi touch the ball. It just seems to stick to him in some kind of way. There's some kind of magical force that is just keeping him to hold the ball in these insane situations he finds himself in. And that's why he will take on these defenders, which... Normally, I think a person would try to you know, cut away or maybe like take a pass, but Messi will run into these situations and get out of them. And just that last moment where he stands back up, takes about another step or two, I think it comes off his left foot where it just kind of gets behind the keeper on the left-hand side. You love to see it. It's one of the best goals I've seen this entire
0: season. That sets up a easily the best quarterfinal matchup between Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich is just playing on another level right now. You know, I really thought they were going to coast when they were up 3-0 on aggregate against Chelsea. And then here they go, winning 4-1 thanks to another stellar performance from Robert Lewandowski. This guy is on a historic pace so far, this Champions League.
1: I can't believe you thought that they were going to let up against Chelsea. They're no they're a no mercy team. I mean, I can speak from experience. I mean, you've seen probably now what uh, Bayern Munich has done to every single London team they face this year. If you combine the scores from Arsenal, Chelsea, and Tottenham, all those three London teams have scored less than 10 goals on them th- this entire season. And I just think that's just insane. They're capitalizing like 10 plus on these. I think at the, the it's it's about 30 plus goals to around seven goals.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: I think they're going to end up winning the Champions League. I think there's a strong argument that you can make for that just because they have this momentum that they have not lost. And I'm really excited for this match where you have Lewandowski who's having his best season in his entire life going up against you know it's it, Messi's still great we just talked about this goal that we have of course Barcelona was struggling a little bit this year but at the end of the day Messi will still prove that he's Lionel Messi just like how we talked about that and anything can happen but I do think that Bayern Munich will come on with the gas pedal floored
0: Lewandowski is having a Champions League for the ages currently sits at first in the Champions League already with 13 goals and it's tied for first with four assists there's a chance if he they win the final that he's up there as one of the highest scoring if not the highest scoring player in champions league history
1: yeah what's there there's one fun statistic too about the champions league that i recently found out that was like was isn't two percent of all goals scored in the champions league from cristiano ronaldo
0: it's something like 1.5 1.6 percent of all champions league goals ever are by ronaldo
1: yeah and now we got that's why he has the nickname Mr. Champions League, but that Mr. Champions League is going to be playing some golf for the next couple of weeks. (laughs) I just want to say one thing. Speaking of golf, one of my favorite stories from this Champions League restart was the, uh, we talked about it last week, the Real Madrid versus Manchester City. Manchester City ended up taking the the win from that. Um, Noticeably missing from the Real Madrid side was Gareth Bale, and he was seen playing golf during that match. He was like, he didn't even just like stay somewhere else and watch his teammates play. He literally went out to play golf during that
0: game. 100% intentional by Gareth Bale. That entire situation has been almost comical at this point. And I think what's wild is I think both sides, you know, you see a lot of tension in these situations in a lot of sports, even in soccer. But it just seems like both sides of this one are just kind of at peace with it. And they're kind of having fun with it, and I've never seen this before in sports, and it's it makes me a little uncomfortable watching from the outside. But hey, Real's winning championships, and Gareth Bale's making money, so I mean, why get worked up if everything's going well?
1: That's fair. Just unfortunately, um, Real Madrid is not going to be advancing in the Champions League any further. I'm so excited to who's going to be crowned the champions of Europe from this tournament. It could be a team that we haven't seen raise that trophy in several years, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen.
0: Speaking of raising trophies, why don't we get into our interview with the most decorated player in United States soccer history. Joining us today, um, the legendary Christy Pierce Rampone, former U.S. women's national team captain. She is a two time women's World Cup champion. Three time Olympic gold medalist. Uh, joining her as well as her co author, Dr. Christine Keen. She has worked with professional athletes as a sports neuropsychologist for the past 20 years. Their book, Be All In, is releasing August 18th. Thank you, both of you, for coming on. We really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having us. Uh, so, for our listeners who
1: haven't been able to get a peek at the book yet, what inspired you two to write it?
2: Well, it was kind of a collaboration of I was retiring and both in the, the sports world and as a coach, a mother, and Dr. Keene, obviously on the clinical side and her science background of working with athletes and being a mother of three, we just really noticed the climate of sports was kind of changing. It was getting a little bit too emotional and the kids weren't really able to express their own journey. And we wanted to kind of give back and help through all of our experience and knowledge. And we were just a a lot of talk and communicating. We wrote it down on paper and then we just said like, hey, we need to Actually, make this into a book and, and give back and educate parents to just kind of relax and enjoy the journey.
3: Yeah,
1: we read in the book that you both met after you were contacted by a hospital to speak on concussion and other sports related topics. Considering that you both have so much experience, just kind of walk us through what that writing process was like.
3: You know, first, it was a lot of us talking as, as sports moms. You know, our daughters mm-hmm. play on the same soccer team that, that Christy and her fiance are coaching. Uh, so, you know, we, we had a kind of a lot of sideline huddles. And so it started out that way. Um, and then we would talk about like Christy's unique experiences playing and some of the science behind, you know, why she experienced some of those things. We talked a lot about the pressures that we felt as sports moms and that we were we were hearing from other parents. And we really felt like we could alleviate some of those pressures by writing them down and sharing some of the science behind it and some of the ways that, you know, parents can cope.
2: Yeah, it was pretty much a two-year process of meeting twice a week and just six to eight hours just working on it and then, you know, writing on the weekends as well. So it was just big collaboration. I really can't believe it's actually done in here and <laughs> here, and now we're, like, talking about it. <laughs> it's one of those moments, like, you know, you, you put so much work into it, but we're, you know, proud of what we put together to hopefully help educate parents.
0: You do tell one of the absolute wildest sports stories personally I've ever heard, and I've worked in sports journalism for eight-plus years Uh, I'm not even exaggerating. I do think this should be a movie. Uh, In in 2009, you know, you played center half for the Sky Blue FC and halfway through the season, you began coaching the team, you know, after a rough start. Mm. Uh, You know, not only did you lead them to a national championship as both a player and a coach, you know, you did this all while hiding the fact that you were three months pregnant. I don't think Mamba mentality does that justice. That's that's Christy composure you know how on earth were you able to balance so many things both professionally and personally all at once
2: I just think it was just like in those moments of uncertainty I just like put the team before myself you know yes I was pregnant I didn't want anybody to know Um, still competing and unfortunately you know our coach left our team and it was just at that moment I just was like it's about the girls and everything they put into it and you know, we all know that we don't get paid a lot on the women's side. And so you play for the passion of it. And I was like, it's not fair to them to have to, you know, four games left in the season, start with a new coach. So, you know, I took over and just had some fun with it and just brought it back to basics of, like, why you play soccer. And it was just an amazing experience for myself, like, you know, being able to take over a team and, and you know, find that passion again. And we had so much fun. Like, there was no expectations. Um we baited all the way through and won that championship and was able to kind of celebrate um, the emotional <laughs> part, but not the, uh, <laughs> the normal celebration with, with everybody to let them know that I was three months pregnant in the locker room on that, that celebration night. Um, but it was fun. It was just all encompassing and just, you know, proves to my girls like what uh, female empowerment can do and mind over matter. And I was safe. You know, I did everything my doctors had allowed me to do in, in order to play and, you know, just be there for my teammates.
1: Yeah. Dr. Keene, a lot of the book is about pressures of family and coaches on young players. Given your experience and backgrounds, how does the pressure shift or manifest in circumstances when concussions and other injuries are on the line?
3: That was one of the reasons why we were so inspired to write the book. I would, I would talk with Christy about how I noticed that parents felt a lot of pressure to get their kids back on the field and maybe more concerned about the next tournament than the, the healing process of the head injury. That, that's that's mm-hmm. what I really noticed as, as time went on in my concussion clinic. Well,
0: you know, given my background, I previously covered the NFL and co- college football. You know, I really appreciate that you guys did dedicate a whole chapter of the book, you know, toward concussions and injuries.
2: Yeah, because concussion is always this way I say, concussion is hard because it's the injury you don't see. Yeah. Right, you can see somebody limping, you can see someone that, you know, their gates off where, you know, they're like, something's going on. But the hardest part with concussion is, you know, there's not a lot of education on it. And you don't see it. So you kind of try to ignore it. And as a parent, we just noticed um, that they're trying to push their kids back in the field. And, you know, myself suffering two concussions, you know, and that's how Dr. Keene and I had met on like the speaking engagements about concussions. Like, you know, I was at the pro level and still like, uneducated about like, do I really have a concussion? Do I not? And it just brought the awareness to us to realize like, you know, people do struggle coming back from injury. They feel like they're going to miss out on something. But the most important thing is to get healthy, to be back to the person you were, you know, prior to that injury.
3: I never felt like anybody was a bad parent for mm-hmm.
2: uh, wanting to
3: get their kid back so quickly. But it, it definitely intrigued me that there was that shift, that, that real worry about missing playing time. And we're talking about kids that are 10 years old. Yeah. I mean, you miss some playing time at 10 years old that really shouldn't affect your career. So we, we put some stories in the book about Christie's experiences with it and then some of the athletes that have come into the office and how that really played out for them.
0: Yeah, I guess one of my follow-up questions to this, I, I do find it very interesting, you know, especially as of late. There's been a lot more awareness and protocols with concussions in professional sports at the very least. But I'm curious, has any of that actually trickled down to the youth sports level, or like at least how much? At least awareness and protocols.
2: Awareness, there? yeah, the protocol. Yeah, mm-hmm. so
3: we've seen a trend for years of concussions increasing, and now recently, oh, wow. we're not seeing that. Okay. So prior to that, we were, we were saying, okay, we're, you know, maybe we're seeing this trend increasing because now we're more aware and we're flagging them. Mm-hmm. But then the numbers kept rising, and we said, well, that's not enough. We have to figure this out. But now we're seeing a little bit of leveling there. So we're happy with that. But it really underscores that it's important to raise awareness, continue to raise awareness, prevention. Um, We we still have a lot of work to do in that area. You know, high school sports, there's, uh, you know, across the United States, there's a lot of state laws protecting high school athletes. And as it trickles back to middle school and elementary school, the same laws are not in place to protect them. The return to play protocols that are, mandated across the states mm-hmm. are not mandated for middle school and you know younger children are more susceptible to concussion and the effects of concussion and there was a myth for years thinking that you know younger you are you're going to bounce back we know that's not true so we have some work to do with some of the younger ones but then that gets into you know if, if they put a lot of sanctions on the youth coaches to be responsible for concussions, who's going to coach and you know, then there's yeah. a lot of liability so that's that's mm-hmm. a lot of the talk that surrounds how do we how do we do that other than raising awareness?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Christy, I do really appreciate the fact that you were willing to share your stories on concussions in this book as well. Do you think that some of these pressures early on, like you guys have just talked about, can lead to more dangerous playing habits, uh, you know, moving on throughout playing careers?
2: I do. I think the, the pressure is to always win and compete and get back out there. You know, it puts, it's a lot on the kids, you know, and I talk about in the book is like when I grew up, there was no pressures to to win a scholarship or awards and stuff you just played because you just had the passion and love for it and nowadays these kids have you know these goals that are set that are so high and their parents are pushing them they're getting special training at such, such a young age so I don't know if they really can really look at themselves and like look at their you know like read the own cues of like when I'm doing too much and when I'm not because they have somebody else constantly you know making them get out there and play and you know we always said like if you actually choose your own sport and you're happy with the sport that you have chose not having your parents choose it for you you're more disciplined and you're more aware of the surroundings yeah. so you know I feel I do feel bad for these kids I was a multiple sport sport athlete growing up and just going from one to the next, going to college on a basketball scholarship, ending up playing soccer at a high level. And it's just everybody's path to success is so different. And that's what these parents need to kind of take a break and allow their kids to just express themselves and be them, you know, be who they are not be someone they want them to be.
0: We actually do have a question from some listeners. Um, we actually have a few listeners that are on the Grand, uh, Grand Valley State women's soccer team. So we A, wanted to give them a shout out because we appreciate them listening. And, B, we felt it only right if we have Christy Pierce-Rampone on that they could ask a question as well. Of course. <laughs> uh, so, you know, what they wanted to know is, like, what do you define personally as a championship mentality right now? And, like, has that definition changed for you after, you know, each or any of the championships that you've won? Yeah, you
2: know, championship means to me is, like, the complete unity and the complete team. And no one player on that team is better than the next. And for me, it was always about building those relationships on the field and making those around you better. And when you feel that and you earn that and you show up every day and you're consistent and you have that mentality that you're doing it for not just yourself, but everybody else within your group, that's what a, a true champion is. Um, it's not trying to get individual awards or trying to outdo somebody else. It's always about you know, putting the team before yourself. And it just feels amazing when that last whistle blows and you do win that championship because you are going to have to go, you're going to have your ups and downs, you're going to have your hurdles, you're going to have your injuries, you're going to have your disappointments. And even those moments within a championship game that don't go your way as a team, but it's collectively how can you get back to who you truly are as an, as an identity and who you want to be on that pitch um, is truly what makes that mentality stronger in that championship team.
1: One of my favorite things just about the book in general is that it basically focuses on how important the journey is rather than just the destination. And as you both mentioned, like it's a lot of the parents are just focusing on like, when can I get my child out to the next tournament or how can they achieve that victory goal? In terms of our podcast, what we do sometimes is compare like an American sport or American mentality to like soccer overall, like overseas. And I just kind of had a general question is like, do you think the promotion and relegation system that like European soccer allows athletes overseas to appreciate the process and the journey rather than just the destination, since there are more milestones along the way?
2: I do agree. Yeah. I think Americans have, I just think this winning mentality that like they always want to compete and they, they do kind of forget about the technical side and like the tactical side of what the game does bring. And we're always just looking for that end result and it's a great time right now as you say like during this pandemic you know everybody's wanting right now just to get out and compete like can my kid get back in the field and play and it's like there's so much they can learn during this time and like just take a step back but it's an adjustment period for those kids because they don't want to just work on the technique because all their all their focus is on on that outcome goal as you say it's like the outcome goal is the win but the process like how are you going to get there to get to that outcome. And, you know, I think they do a great job in Europe. I was also actually um, in Japan after the tsunami and we were able to do some clinics over there and just seeing the different perspective of how it's all about technique and skill set to so their around 11, 12, and then they go to goal, like just in the, the soccer realm. So it's like, they get those fundamentals down and then they build to the bigger game and the bigger pitch. And like, then it's about competing and winning. And, you know, I'd love for, American side to kind of take a a piece of that and understand development is is crucial and if you know I always say like winning is a byproduct of developing like if you can develop you can win throughout your life and you know even that that means winning within little bits of the game versus actually the scoreboard like you're you're doing something great and I wish you know during this time a lot of people can take a, a step back and see that and just work on the technique and you know when it all opens up and everybody can compete again and feel comfortable, like then they're ready. You know, but right now it's like all they want to do is put their kids back on the field to compete. But you know, there is more to sports, and that's what we talk about throughout this book. Is like there's so much more you can grasp from sports than just winning. And I think we could take a piece, you know, for them, your European side, and um, you know, and have that development set you know, within our youth programs.
1: I couldn't agree more. I just want to say that one of my favorite chapters of the book is the car ride home. Uh, mm-hmm. I love how like the kind of just starts out with a list of common discussions, like arguments on like just where to eat in general and parents talking about sports they just really don't understand. I know myself personally, have had a lot of those conversations growing up and without giving away too much in the book, I know you break down athletes emotions during this time and how there might still be a flight or fight system that could still be active within them. I was hoping that you could speak more on what causes this and also it seems like it's kind of a perfect dance for the parents on how to handle these car rides appropriately, like as per your example in the book with the father Murray having his son basically block out all sense of questions on the car rides home.
3: So, so we find that a lot of parents are frustrated with that car ride home because they're in a different emotional state than their child. So whether it's been a win or a loss, the body's not going to recognize that in terms of the fight or flight activation so the child when your sympathetic nervous system is kicked up you're functioning from what we call your limbic system so you're very emotional so you're not going to think from your frontal lobes So your high-order thinking is not happening and a parent is a lot of times asking some pretty higher order questions what did the coach say why did you play like that why didn't your teammate pass to you and the reaction can be an emotional shutdown it can be irrational mm. yelling A lot of things happen in the car ride home that we've talked to athletes and professional athletes. One of the things we were surprised at, a lot of professional athletes said the car ride home was great. You know, they 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 weren't picked on by their parents. But we do see, you know, a lot of emotional distress on that ride home. So we wanted to explain the biology of or the physiology of what's happening to your child so they can have that space. And then some kids want to talk about things. They're they're that athlete. They're passionate. They want to talk. And they can't. But then a lot of kids need to kind of cool down, get on their phone, get on the Snapchat, and then they can talk to you. So we just want to raise that awareness, like every kid's going to have a unique experience. They are coming off the field at a, you know, at a heightened emotional level. And to respect that, understand that, and then have your time. Because obviously parents mm-hmm. want to know what the coach is saying. <laughs> right. That's right. Really <laughs> like yeah. There's a time and place.
1: Absolutely. And so much could be going on too, just in terms of the family. I mean, it might just not be just a ride home. There might be like having errands to run and there just might be like a plate of other things just stacked on top of it. I just found it really fascinating and reflecting in that part of the book myself personally.
0: I very much appreciated being able to read this because, you know, obviously Nate and I are not parents, but, you know, personally my entire brand is sports and dad jokes. So, you know, this is kind of great (laughs) preparation for, you know, being a parent. Again, it's a very solid read, regardless of whether you're a parent or not. Uh, I did have one last question for you guys, uh, and it just seems relevant right now. For Christy, since so many of your, you know, friends and former teammates have recently been involved in an ownership bid for an LA expansion mm-hmm. team in the NWSL, you know, league attendance last year was up twenty two percent. It's been really awesome to see this league expand. Uh, the Chicago Red Stars have been playing quite well, which has been exciting for us since we're in Chicago.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um, but you know, what do you think the future of this league looks like, especially with you know, and team expanding in LA?
2: Yeah, it's it's exciting news because there's so much more expansion ahead and it just gives females more opportunity to play and excel at the highest level because, you know, our our platform is, is pretty good. I feel like the product on the field has been amazing. What they did over the Challenge Cup was um, been truly inspiring. The fact that they were able to show they were committed to the sport and they went in for five weeks, no positive tests, like they were all in and you know you have to you know applaud them for that and just moving forward these these women are excited to play and to have you know um, Louisville coming in next next year and then LA the following year just it's just a, it's amazing to see that it's it has been baby steps I will say on the female side like we went small and we're continuing to grow but they're doing it right you know and they're they're adding teams You know, the product is there. We have European players, um, big time players coming back to the league to want to play because it is the best league in the world. And it's competitive and each game truly does matter. So, you know, credit to to women's sports and the the growth that um, we've developed. And, you know, also credit to the U.S. Women's National Team for continuing to have the success to capture the audience to want to um, watch women's professional soccer.
0: Well, I'll just say for myself, and I know, Nate, too, like, you know, what the women's national team has done for soccer has been, you know, truly amazing, especially in the States. It's been, it's been nicer, you know, with me and Nate being able to talk to random people about soccer. Like, it's no longer (laughs) (laughs) just a sport where, like, you're a fan and you just, like, you talk to someone and it's a sports fan. It's like talking to a blank wall. Again, appreciate everything you guys have done. Your book, Be All In, debuts August 18th. Cannot wait. uh, Well, we've already read it, but we cannot wait for our (laughs) listeners to read it. Um, Again, thank you guys so much for coming on.
2: Thanks for
0: having us. Thank you again so much to Christy Pierce-Rampone and Dr. Christine Keen for coming on, taking some time out of their day to chat with us. Really enjoyed the conversation. That was awesome. Again, be sure to check out their book, which debuts on August 18th called Be All In. Fun little announcement for our listeners. We will also be doing Twitter and Instagram giveaways for the book. Uh, Be sure to follow us on Twitter at FTFCPod and Instagram at FirstTouchPod. Details will be coming out shortly for those giveaways.
1: Make sure you follow us on our social media channels because you do want to get yourself a copy of this book. As two people that have gotten this one before it's been released, it's an amazing read. You're going to really enjoy it. And let's switch over now to our pitch profile. So Tyler, who do we have this week?
0: We have the legendary Croatian Luka Modric. Again, thank you to Drew Howard for the suggestion. Drew might be one of the first listeners of this show every morning it comes out, so we appreciate you, Drew. Really fascinating story, so I think he had a great choice of this pitch profile. You know, the casual fan may know Luka Modric, but I don't think he gets enough credit Because he's definitely in the discussion as the best midfielder of this generation.
1: And what I just want to say to the casual fan, like maybe you've heard his name because I think for soccer, a lot of people end up if they don't really follow the leagues that we follow as intensely as we do or um, the Champions League and other things like that. You know people are at least watching the World Cup because that's some of the most entertaining and one of the hardest trophies to win. It's just like the Olympics happens every four years. You would know Luka Modric because he is the captain of the Croatian national team and played in the most recent World Cup final against France. He has one of the most interesting background stories I've ever heard in terms of, like, a professional player growing up. He grew up in Croatia during the country's war for independence. After living with his grandfather, his family was forced to flee their home, and his grandfather was then executed by Serbian rebels, and their home was burned to the ground. It's the most terrifying thing that you could ever imagine, and he was just a young kid at this point in time. He spent the majority of his childhood living in hotels to avoid the violence, and he would play soccer in the parking lots growing up to essentially have a sense of escapism, something else to occupy his mind space with, with all the craziness that was going on around him.
0: Eventually, Modric was able to train with N.K. Sidar as a kid and spent some time in some other leagues. But where he got his first big break was back in 2003, while he was out on loan for Zrinski Mostar. he was actually named the bosnian premier league player of the year that year at just 18 years old eventually that loan ended he was returned to dynamo zagreb he turned the croatian team into a powerhouse the team actually won the croatian league in three consecutive seasons while modric was a full-time contributor they were even the croatian cup winners twice he finished his time with the club 31 goals and 29 assists
1: Certainly showing a lot of promise in these leagues, he eventually made his way over to the English Premier League, and in April 2008, he transferred to my one and only Tottenham Hotspurts, despite that there was interest from Manchester City at the time, as well as Newcastle United. He had a career at Tottenham that was kind of rocky and a bit of a slow start because he did have a knee injury early on, and he was also, in true Tottenham fashion, being put to play out of his normal position. He was forced to be a forward or on the wing, and we know that this man is best when he's in that center midfielding position. A new manager in Harry Redknapp ended up helping Modric, returned to the position that he was most comfortable with in that center midfielder position where he finally started to get the groove for this club play. And after initial season with the club, Modric made sure the Spurs never finished worse than 5th in the Premier League and after the 0809 season, he was named the club's player of the year in 2010-11. And he finished his time in London with 17 goals, 27 assists and 160 club appearances. Fun fact with this, actually, as well, the amount of appearances he's had with Tottenham is the exact many appearances he has currently with the Croatian national team.
0: All good things must have come to an end, especially for Nate and his Tottenham fandom, because in August of 2012, uh, Modric made his way to Real Madrid, where he's actually been playing ever since. You know, just like with Tottenham, however, Modric didn't get to take off right away with the team. Crowded midfield with the likes of Mesut Uzil and Xabi Alonso, Made it hard for Modric to get the consistent playing time right away. Despite that, the Spanish media did pick up on a nickname calling him El Pajaro, which is the bird. Despite a colder welcome, you know, fans' perception of Modric changed quickly in March of 2013. Along with providing an assist to Sergio Ramos on the game-winning goal in El Clasico, the well-known rivalry match against Barcelona, Modric came back three days later in the Champions League against Manchester United as a substitute scoring an equalizing goal, and contributing to a come-from-behind victory to help Real advance to the quarterfinals. From that month on, Modric established himself as one of the best players in the world. The accolades Modric has won are on par with some of the best the game has ever seen. With Real Madrid, Modric has won the Champions League four times, La Liga twice, the Spanish Super Cup three times, the FIFA Club World Cup four times, and the UEFA Super Cup three times. And as an individual, Modric was awarded the Palindor best FIFA men's player, and UEFA's best player in Europe, all in 2018.
1: Despite all the success in his professional club career, which made Modric one of the best players in the world, it's what he's done internationally for his country. Modric has played in three World Cups in his career, but has never been able to get out of the group stages until 2018 as his first time as the country's captain. Thanks to some brilliant plays by Modric the entire tournament, Croatia was able to make its first World Cup final in the club's history. Although they eventually fell to France, Modric was given the golden ball as the best player of the tournament. In late 2019, Modric actually released a autobiography. It's titled My Game. He does generally keep a low profile. He married in 2010. He does have three children, one boy and two girls. Unfortunately, there has been some legal issues. In March of 2018, there was an embezzlement and tax evasion trial against his former sports agent, Zakarvo Manmik. Modric was called as a witness, and Modric was charged with perjury for stating that he annexed his fees at an earlier due date than he allegedly had in 2018. The perjury charge was rejected by the Croatian courts.
0: Today, Modric is 34 years old and still playing at an extremely high level. Real Madrid is coming off of a legal title, and even though they were recently kicked out of the Champions League, they are gearing up for another season with sky-high expectations. So that's Modric's story. I honestly love his entire story because it's about a player that didn't have everything put together right away, unlike some of these guys who were just gifted with talent right out of the gate. He's only 5'8 and less than 150 pounds soaking wet, but he spent his entire career developing into the best midfielder of the game. You know, despite all these bumps in the road, whether it be, you know, these transfers or injuries, that's exactly what Rampone was talking about earlier with that beauty of the journey over the destination. I think Modric is the perfect example of that because of that work ethic and willingness to embrace, you know, the path ahead of him rather than rush it to that angle.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He's such an inspiring player. Like when I look into him, you can see how odds have been stacked against him per- for his entire life, right? Not only having to flee like your homes and hide at a very young age for safety, it's also the same things that you're talking about in terms of like, the size of him, and just how he's not physically dominant. People always counted him out until he actually proved himself that he could do things. This man has overcome and had to adapt so much. I just wish that he could have helped Tottenham get a title.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, Nate, you're going to get there one day, man. You know, one day Tottenham's going to win some kind of trophy and I'll probably watch you cry moving forward to around the net no no viral viral web videos or anything like that this week just because it's been such a packed news week we wanted to focus with some of the big storylines going on this week we do have a transfer rumor for you guys though involving Cristiano Ronaldo Uh, it sounds like his agent is set to meet with PSG Nate, how fun would that be to watch?
1: Yeah, it would be pretty wild. It makes sense, the kind of dynasty that he had in like the Real Madrid with all those players like Modrics that we just talked about. Um, seeing him with like Neymar and Mbappe
0: would be ridiculous. I'm always fascinated by the career that has been Ronaldo, and I do appreciate that he's been willing to play for other teams to just show that he can win it wherever he goes, so you know, I agree. Why not go to the French league and see what you can do there? You've already proven what you can do in you know English Premier League, La Liga, Syria. Yeah, just try it in, uh, try it in the French league. We'll see what happens. In other Juventus news, uh, pretty quick turnaround for a new manager. Uh, just within a couple days, we found out that you know, Maurizio Sarri had been sacked after just one season. Italian great Andrea Pirlo, former Juventus player, is taking over as manager. They, I I honestly just feel bad for Sarri, man. You know, I had a lot of respect for him during his time at Napoli. And okay, quick aside here: uh, Bundesliga Barelli has been criticizing our pronunciation of our pronunciation of Napoli, and he's supposed to be saying it's Napoli. Like, what do you want me to do? You want me to do like the the hand thing while I, I say it more Italian like? <laughs> I I'm honestly kind of upset with Bundesliga Borelli, but you know that'll be a conversation for you know the next time he's on. But at any rate. Again, I do have a lot of respect for Sorry, and I do think it's a little unfair that after one season he gets sacked because he did win the league. It's just I think there were just a couple disappointments along the road in Champions League and the Copa Italia.
1: Yeah, is this where we make a dad joke where it's like I feel sorry for Sorry, but I definitely do because the guy. That's my job. It's not like he did a bad job. Juventus won their ninth title in a row. It, I just think that maybe it had something to do with their Champions League exit, Uh, or maybe it's also that Ronaldo is also having these talks, not feeling confident within the Juventus side. I don't really know what what led to this, but obviously there had to be a lot of things working on the background to have such a fast turnaround time. Uh, One other thing too, Buffon, he's 42 years old and the goalie, and he's older than their new manager, Perlo. He's 41 and also his former teammate. I saw that he was joking around and saying like, so now I have to call you Mr. towards him.
0: Well, I will say this one last thing on this. You know, Pirlo is widely considered one of the smartest and talented Italian players ever. And from what I've been reading, there are a lot of talks that his soccer IQ is so high. He's probably more well equipped to manage the squad than a lot of season managers out there. So, you know, time will tell. I will say this, though. If you're a Juventus fan, it's got to be exciting watching, you know, an old player come back to manage the team
1: moving on to something you know we love talking about here on the ftfc we love a fresh fresh kit don't we just a good jersey that just shows off everything uh that that you want i found this one um the new jersey from red star fc might not have heard of them we don't cover them much on this podcast it is a team within the french league Um, So what makes this jersey unique to me and why I wanted to bring this up? Red Star FC is the only club in France which Adidas has allowed to create its own jersey. So a couple of things to mention about this and why it stands out to me. The home kit features kind of a bespoke illustration created by an art collective called Acid FC And I'm going to butcher this French pronunciation, but it's called the Toile de Joy style. It's inspired by a nearby antique flea market that's near the stadium. The graphics on the jersey display moments from the the history of the club, and it's also showing that it's not just Red Star history, but it's also all of France from the 1800s to today.
0: Just on the outside looking in, what I enjoyed is that it's sponsored by Vice. Never would I have guessed that they have their logo on a soccer kit. And that being said, I also think these are really clean. They are green and pink, and I had to clarify that for Nate because he is colorblind, but he can still appreciate a good kit. Uh, But yeah, they're really clean, and I think that whole idea of having those moments of French history on the kit, too, is honestly pretty cool. These are some of the better kits to be released lately. Yeah, I just got to say a couple of things about it. So you got the
1: traditional three stripes of Adidas on the shoulders. What I really enjoy about this, though, is the way the collar and the sleeves are are cuffed. You have a really thick collar, you have a really thick end of the sleeves, and then that green color just looks so good with all of those graphics on it. It kind of reminds me of looking at currency a little bit just because of the way that these images are in the back you can kind of imagine like i know like our american dollars are a little boring with our pictures on it but i'm sure if you've ever seen like a canadian dollar bill and you can see like the mallards on the back or just any other kind of currency that has like a scene that's what this jersey kind of reminds me of with the green background and then i really love the away kit too where it's uh, the red and white And it just kind of stands out a little bit more. I think it's just a great addition to a avid jersey collector. And also if you like having that streetwear element with all of these different kinds of graphics on this jersey, it just looks so unique to me. And it just looks so fresh. It's one of my favorite jerseys that I've
0: seen in in years, honestly. Thanks, Nate, for sharing some kit talk. Always love talking kit. That's a little dad joke for Nate. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Wow, that one cut me off guard. I'll give that to you, man. Good one.
0: I wanted to give everyone you know, their way to hopefully win money, uh, although unfortunately our bet of the week did not hit last week, but you know, bet of the week this week, we are going to go with Bayern Munich, half goal favorite over Barcelona. I know Barcelona played so well in that most recent match, and I'm betting against them for the second straight week, uh, but no one has been able to touch Bayern all year. There's just too much talent all around for Bayern. I think this is going to be close, but I do think Bayern squeaks out with that winning goal to advance to the semifinals.
1: That's great. And now, for one of our favorite segments, and I know favorite segment for all those FTFC fans out there, let's talk a little bit about the pub of the week.
3: Yeah.
0: Did you just make a jingle for pub of the week?
1: Yes, I did. And we're not going to edit that one out. <laughs>
0: We need to get Jamie Webster back on to do a Pub of the Week song, man.
1: Just a quick aside before we jump into the Pub of the Week. We posted this on our Instagram, and if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. There's a new Nike ad uh, with Jamie in it. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, we were watching it, and I was just like, oh, shit, that's Jamie Webster. We interviewed that guy. That was honestly <laughs> one of the coolest things I've seen. You know, It's not even like it's just like a quick cut to him. There's multiple cuts of him. He has speaking lines in the ad.
1: That is true. So what do you got for us in Pub of the Week?
0: Shout out to Nick, friend of the show, FTFC listener. Uh, he is from Boston. Uh, he wanted to give a shout out to Caskin Flagon at 62 Brookline Ave, uh, right next to Fenway. This is a great place to watch, you know, pretty much any sporting event, uh, but they are a great place to watch some soccer. They actually previously hosted the big Premier League Fan Fest while I was in Boston. You know, that's always a big event in any city they come to when they're in the States. Fun fact, I've actually been here before. Uh, it was actually a great spot with a lot of space. I personally went before a Red Sox game and had a blast. You know, it's nice to, you know, grab a, uh, it's nice to grab a drink there and then literally walk. I'm not exaggerating, like two feet and then you're at Fenway. Uh, so Nick, thanks for the shout out. Uh, I'm sure they'll love, appreciate the shout out too. We know with everything going on, uh, being able to give some shout outs to these, you know, bars and restaurants, exactly what we could use right now.
1: I actually don't think I remember that you went to Boston for a Red Sox game.
0: Oh this has been this has been a few years ago at this point. Uh but yeah man, I went to Boston and figured while I was there, uh, I like it's on a bucket list, I had to go to Fenway. I'd never been. I had a really good time and you know, especially since they are the same ownership group as Liverpool. Looking back on it now, I think I have to go to more Red Sox games in the future.
1: And just looking up a little bit more on Cask and Flagon, I was uh, looking into their history. And they said that the building was originally a Ford dealership and the original dealership flooring still exists today in their like nightclub area, I guess. So that's pretty interesting. And if you find yourself in Boston and you're near Fenway,
0: tell them the FTFC sent you. That'll do it for today's episode of First Touch Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed episode 10. We'll leave you the same way we leave you every week. There is no room for racism.